Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. As I speak, it is Friday. Yes, indeed, it's Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. But when you hear this, it won't be Friday. Oh, man, that is so trippy. It'll be Monday, right? Or, or Tuesday. Tuesday or Wednesday. Or Thanksgiving. Or Thanksgiving. It could be the year 2020. Five. Yeah. It's a crazy world. This a podcasting. Podcasting. We exist forever. And uh, if it's, imagine if it's year 2030 and you go, you know what? I want to know what was going on in the city of Chicago back in 2019. And I want to know what Stacy Davis Gates has to say about it. And yes, indeed, uh, Stacy Davis Gates is in the studio with, with us. We call her the governor uh, around here because she should have run for governor. Uh, Stacy Davis Gates was no, never going to run for governor, but I told her she had to run for governor. Anyway, welcome back, Stacy Davis Gates. Well, thank you. Thank All you right. for having me. Uh, indeed, so much to talk about, so much political stuff to talk about with Stacy Davis Gates. She is the vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, political junkie, political nerd, just like myself. I recognize it. I see Game recognizes game, as they say. For nerds. Uh, for nerds, yes. There's nothing wrong with being a political nerd, Stacey Davis Gates. Been one my whole life, going back to 1960 something or other, when I was obsessively following presidential politics. I'm still following presidential politics. I'm going to force you to have a discussion about presidential politics because it's my obsession as we head into 2020. And I know you have some interesting things to say about Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, whatever. He doesn't oh. even try to pronounce the guy's name. Right Buttigieg. Anyway. I think they say Mayor Pete. Yeah, Mayor Pete. Yeah. Uh, well, around here we call him Mayor Shake Your Buttigieg. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll talk about all that. And uh, Bernie, maybe you got some uh, love for Bernie. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk Was about. Was that shade? What's that? Was that shade? Which, what, Maybe you have some love for Bernie. Yeah, shows, yes, exactly right. Um, so let's talk about, there's a charter school strike. Or about three charter schools are out right now as we speak. Yep. Uh, so, wow, things have changed uh, in the world. A, charter schools are organized into collective bargaining units, which is something that uh, was not going on when Mayor Rahm uh, became mayor of this city. And two, he gave the charters a gift, didn't he? He gave the charters. Yeah, he was so bad and mean and nasty to the schools that the charter schools organized. Uh, but now they're organized. So talk about it. What's going on with the strike? So this is um, the first multi-employer charter strike in the history of this country. That's number one. Um, it is the third such strike in the city of Chicago. Um, the first one being the Uno Acero schools in December, and then in February. CICS schools and now um, we're on strike again. Wow. Um, wow is right. However, <laughs> the story is just the same. Yeah. Um, charters actually received a windfall of resources with the new funding formula. Um, they lobbied for years to get um, more money because you know they said they could do more with less and turns out they can't. Um, and so the new funding formula because the, what was that guy's name who was the governor? Oh, you think remember I remember him? his name. Uh, yeah, wait, Bruce this guy Conner. right here? Holy, you got it? 
Uh, no. What? Yay for our teachers! Yay for <laughs> that, teachers. that one. That one. Yeah. That one. Old Rounder. So, in order to get the funding formula bill passed, he put two things in it. One was increased funding for charters. The second thing was vouchers. Yep. People can call that stuff whatever they want to call it, but it's a backdoor voucher scheme. Yeah, it was the tax break for yeah. people who invest money in uh, private school and charter schools, yep. etc. Vouchers. vouchers. So, yeah, um, the same thing. Vouchers and increased funding for the charters. So, at any rate that happened with Bruce Rahner. So they're getting more funding in. So what happens is that they have enough money to hire more administrators and to pay administrators more money. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't lower class size. They didn't hire more counselors or social workers. They did not figure out how to um, provide the schools with more resources. What they did was increase bloat at the administrative level. And what teachers did was say, well, yo, I need more. Um, at the Instituto schools, you have um, classrooms that are seeing 40% turnover. 40% turnover and a small school is unconscionable, mm -hmm. right? Teachers cannot afford to work there. Is that every year? Every, every year. year. So yes. 40% turnover. One of the one of the innovations that they figured out at charters is how to like have a high turnover of staff. That is one of the innovations that they've come up with. Not sure I call that an innovation. Well, uh, they keep saying that they have innovations that no one else does. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Um, but at any rate. <laughs> In other words, a revolving door. It is a revolving of, door. And what mm -hmm. is insidious about that particular revolving door is that the um, population of students at the Instituto schools and at the Latino youth school are students that are already on the bubble, if you will. Students who have not had good school experience experiences, students who need more services with respect to social workers, counselors, school psychologists even, mm -hmm. and to know that there are students on waiting lists, that there are students not receiving special education services, that's that's really a problem. And that there are increased funds, you know, that would allow them to hire those people and to make sure that they could sustain um, a, a workforce there makes a difference. But here's the thing that has been exposed in this moment, that charters never really wanted to have a stable workspace because stable workspace means that you respect the workers there, you pay them their worth, and that you give them some agency and decision-making. Like, for anyone working anywhere, those three tenants kind of keep you employed and, and pretty satisfied with your employment space. They don't do that in large part. And so teachers have organized. Organizing is one thing. Bargaining for a contract and going to a negotiating table is one thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, setting a strike date is one thing. But actually going out on strike, that is a huge thing. You've got to be a few things for that to happen. Um, management has got to be really arrogant and obstinate. That's one thing that we're experiencing. And the other thing that I think is a thread through all of these strikes at these charter um, schools is that the management actually, they don't have the ability to collectively bargain. They have not built a muscle of where they can listen to teacher voice and to respect the agency and the expertise that they bring to the table and actually say, look, OK, that makes sense. Let's figure it out. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know if we can do that, but how about this? Right. You have people at the table who just 
want to provide directives, period. My way or the highway. Yeah. And I don't see how you do that with people who are highly trained, um, smart folks. They're teachers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, it's just really been offensive, to be honest with you, to sit at some of these tables and to listen to management and to come away with they really don't get it. Well, I would uh, say, in my humble opinion, see if you agree with me on this, uh, that that attitude about uh, not wanting to listen to teachers, not wanting to compromise with teachers, not want to, not wanting to tr treat teachers as though they're almost not your peers, but that you respect them uh, as an organized group of employees. I think that's bigger than the charter school movement. I think the charter school movement uh, is a total symbol of that. And uh, But I think it's bigger than the charter school movement. It's alive in the city of Chicago. It's definitely been alive for the last eight years since Mayor Rahm took office. And I think, and here's where you can feel free to disagree with me, as Stacey says, I know you will. I think it's because... Uh, teachers by and large are women and there's a lack of respect for women when they get into unions and they organize themselves there's five written about this before there's so, far more respect for men uh, unions the police union the firefighters union uh and the trades etc than they're for unions of women i've always felt this do you agree or disagree with me i agree i think that is the most under talked about um, challenge that we have in our profession. Um, our union is 80% female, 80% female. And we are dealing with a contract that has been refined over the years. But what we don't talk about is that the, the infrastructure of that contract is a reflection of white supremacy and patriarchy and patriarchy. So you think about that contract book, and you also, history teacher here, have to remember <laughs> that teachers were fired when they got pregnant. Yeah. Whether they were married or not, they lost their jobs because they weren't supposed to come to school with showing their pregnancy. <laughs> because yeah. I guess someone would ask, how did how that did happen? It was a stork, right. the stork did it. Right. So, <laughs> So <laughs> you, you, we're dealing with, yeah. we, we are dealing with that. We're underpaid, but we're not supposed to say that out mm -hmm. loud. There is not a profession that is dominated by men who do not talk about how much they get paid and demand more. Mm -hmm. They're not shamed for that. They're not excoriated for that. In fact, they are applauded they are put on a pedestal and they are the example, right? And we're supposed to figure out how to lean in. No, uh, Stacy. see, this is the thing, I always get in trouble. Uh, many teachers get mad because I always say it's, teachers should not be embarrassed to ask for more money. But it's not teachers, Ben. Women should be embarrassed to ask for no, more money. women should not be embarrassed. But, that's, but the presumption in this society, the presumption in this society, and this is not just confined to the education, the, our industry. Look at tech, right? Look at the tech industry where there are so few women there mm -hmm. and the way that they've been treated and exposure there. You read the story about the woman, the black woman who left CBS. She's an executive and she wrote this diatribe mm -hmm. about her experience there as a female employee, as a black female employee, you know, very, um, 
racism, sexism, um, the presumption that you take what you get, that you do what you are told to do, and that any type of curiosity, any type of um, sharp questioning is seen as um, an offense to the space that you inhabit, that you should just be happy that you have a job, Mm -hmm. that we let you into a room. I mean, think about the rebuke that the Sun-Times, in fact, gave Chris Welch's bill that basically said, you need to diversify your corporate boards. He didn't ask for a 50-50. He said, just have a couple seats here to reflect the diversity of our country. And people howled at that, how dare And so then that's the corporate world. We're talking about the public sector. Chris Welch, state representative from the western suburbs, Pride and Joy, Proviso West High School. Uh, Yes, I I, I see what you're saying. But with teachers, you're right. There's that... uh, it, there's, it's broader than just teachers. It has to do with so many fact that so many teachers are women, uh, and women are not uh, expected uh, to bargain. They're not. They're not. It's like unwomanlike, unseemly womanlike, right? Uh, to ask for more money. But on top of that, there's this aspect, and maybe it has to do because they're, they're women. This I, I always call it the missionary aspect. Oh, and and it, you know, like you know, you're doing. This is such an important. <laughs> I don't know how they get they, the logic on this one, Stacy. The job we're doing is educating the, the future. The, we're, no one is more important than we are in terms of the future. So even so, because we have this job that is so important for the future, we should not ask for more money. Follow that one? That's like the mission. It's too important to ask for more money. So we'll just work for nothing. <laughs> Man, that's the attitude they have. Only for women, though. If this profession was dominated by me, listen, I, and I'm, I'm having this discussion a lot. So the the educators that I've worked with, the educators that comprise our union, are highly educated individuals. So you get a bachelor's degree, you have a teaching certificate. M- many of our members mm-hmm. also have master's degrees, master degrees plus 15 more hours in um, uh, graduate school, um, nationally board certified teachers, um, PhDs, EDDs, like very uh, skilled and educated, um, very skilled and highly educated. And who else in our society has as much education? You think of attorneys, you think of doctors, both professions that are dominated by men, right? Mm-hmm. And look at the pay disparity. Like similarly situated in terms of the level of education that you obtain to be able to do the job, right? And the disparity in pay is striking. No one ruffles their feathers about uh, an attorney asking you to pay them 500 or $750 per hour, right? A retainer of $5,000, $10,000, right? No one, yeah. you don't even blink at that. That's the expectation, right? But if a teacher says, look, $40,000 isn't enough <laughs> to start with, yeah, right? If And think about it like this too. We don't have the type of maternity leave policy at the Chicago public schools that women should have 
at the Chicago Public Schools. Think about this. When you become a teacher, you are in childbearing years. Mm-hmm. Why on earth would a profession <laughs> that knows that you're going to figure it out and maybe have a baby, hopefully have a baby, not provide you with a maternity leave policy that respects you and 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 your decision to be a mother, mm-hmm. right? To procreate, to have a family. It doesn't. 80% female profession, and we don't have a maternity leave policy that is sufficient. You have, and no lie, you have teachers figuring out how to have babies over the summer. You do. And I've threatened to do this. I've threatened to send out a poll to our <laughs> members to ask them yeah. if they have children yeah. and what months are their children, their birthdays. So we could, seriously. So in other words, if you have them, just help me, help me out a little bit. I'm a little slow. I have my son, so, my first one, yeah. March, right? So uh, Kevin was born in March. Uh-huh. And so I took March to September. Now... Uh, that keeps you to three months in the summer. I get you. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it, now I'm ready to go to work in September. Exactly. <laughs> My second one. Yeah. How about time out? Is yeah, June. All right. She's June seventh. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like figuring out how to not have such financial distress on your household. Because what is the 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 policy for maternity leave for the board of it's education? It's called short term disability. They don't even call it maternity it's leave? It's called short-term disability. Like there's something it's wrong with you? It's called short-term disability. <laughs> and I don't even know how to follow that up with anything that makes sense. It's called short-term disability. Can, can I blame this on Rom or does this predate him? Well, Rom's a white man, so sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just blame Rom. Uh, but I just don't know if that if the short-term disability was something that emerged over the last eight years. No, was, we just oh, won... Like, we're going to call it maternity leave. The board calls it short-term, short-term disability. disability. That's some weird twisted No, stuff. it's just whack. Yeah, they don't want to say maternity. You know, short-term disability. Well, again, this is, you know, the same profession that used to send us home once the belly popped. Yeah. Right? This is the same profession. So to to not have a real discussion because here when when our bargaining heats heats up Mm -hmm. um you know the tribune and you know they're going to send out all of these whack editorials about how we make too much money and what they're saying is that women don't deserve money what they're saying that women in our profession do not deserve to be paid their worth in terms of their level of expertise, um, in terms of their education. That's what they're saying. I'm not going back and forth saying, well, the teachers in Houston make this and the teachers in New York make this. I don't care. I'm saying that how much does a lawyer make? Mm-hmm. How much does a doctor make? How much are engineers working? Heck, how much are the police and the firefighters making? They are off the same taxpayer dime as teachers are. Mm-hmm. And both of those professions, their starting salary is significantly more than ours. And tell me why. Because they run into a burning house? I think that is. I think that is absolutely courageous and brave i do like i'm running out (laughs) right thank god for them right thank god for them and what we do is 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 important too yeah right someone taught that man how to run into a house (laughs) 
Yeah. How to like give him some sort of esteem to feel like he could be, you know, the superhero he is running into that house, right? It all begins with a teacher. It, it does. And uh, no, and and it clearly, like I said, clearly uh, the powers that be in this town for the last eight years. Not so much daily until, uh, at first, but Man, definitely at the please. end. At the daily end. paid us with our pension yes. payment. Yes, well, uh, yes, we paid he did. ourselves the raise. You know, explain from, that to well people. from 1995 to what about mm -hmm. 2010. Yeah. Um, the daily administration did not pay into pensions. Right. So we were contributing to our pensions, and he was redirecting it into salaries and raises for teachers, while at the same time proliferating um, the charter yeah, school. Yeah, no. So uh, he was using our money to like kick us out of our jobs and to give us raises uh, that wasn't he ain't did nothing i sit corrected on uh that point uh you but i will say this in terms of the rhetoric uh, there wasn't as much anti-teacher rhetoric until the end of the daily years when suddenly when he didn't get the olympics he kind of lost his mind and i think he'd sort of blame the teachers for that um, well but be clear too at, that was the same thread in which the little guy came in with too he basically said um which and, little guy i'm all mixed up there's two whereas mayor daly was not exactly yeah, a tall guy yeah i'm never going to call him a little guy okay I'm the, mayor you know who i'm talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, that's the same thread in which he came in with. So as he is, you know, revising history in the last month, he's talking about if I would have just paid him, they wouldn't have said nothing about nothing. Yeah. Like he he still doesn't get it. All right. Hold on. Let's just so people know uh, what Stacy's saying. Uh, when Mayor Rahm came mayor of the city of Chicago, one of his first acts uh, was to uh, yank from the teachers a 4% raise that they had negotiated with the previous board under the previous mayor, Mayor Daly said the city couldn't afford it, yanked it, took it right away. And now as he's leaving office, what Mayor Rahm is saying uh, is that his, one of his biggest mistakes is that he yanked that 4% raise and that if he had not yanked that 4% raise, what? What would have happened? What he said that we would have just as been as docile and quiet and nice to people and not in red t-shirts and not in the streets. Mm -hmm. He said that, you know, money would have put duct tape over our mouth as he was proliferating charters, as he was turning around schools, as he was closing 50 schools, you know, as he was covering up the murder of one of our students, we would have been quiet about it. And what do you say to that? Nope. <laughs> and bye. I, I, I'll put it to you this way. I think that t yanking the 4% uh, at was salt in the wound of a lot of things that he was doing in that first year uh, that or two or three, uh, including the charters, uh, including uh, uh, telling Karen Lewis uh, to F off, uh, including, um, you know, f uh, implementing a longer day without uh working teachers asking teachers to participate in how they set it or up or pay for or it or pay for it or pay or yeah pay make you work it. longer for it. all those things now when you hear mayor ram as he uh, exit office as he's saying uh talk about how he took these tough stands because he wanted to leave the schools in better shape uh and he, and he claims that he has left the schools in better shape than he inherited them what do you think about that i think a, i think a lot of things but the first thing i think as a history teacher is that people better figure out what primary sources are um, when, you know, this era in Chicago history is taught, um, I am going to implore our next generation of history teachers to seek out primary sources, to listen to the voices of the diet hunger strikers and to um, watch film um, of, 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 of parents in, um, in front of his home protesting. 
Um, if things were so Shangri-La, you don't get people in front of your house in mass um, walking down your street protesting. That doesn't happen. You don't get thousands of teachers surrounding City Hall if, you know, you did such an awesome job in the city. You don't get young people um, bird-dogging you on ro- at rooftop restaurants if you've done such a wonderful job in Chicago. He hasn't done a wonderful job. What he does get is his ability to tell his own story, and that has more to do with him being male, him being rich, him being white, and having access to power and privilege. So he gets to tell another story. But what I will say is that the story is down the street when, you, when you're driving down Halstead between um, Garfield and 63rd and you see black men just standing there because they don't have a job or they don't have a school to go to. And, and you, see the, um, you see the despair in those neighborhoods because you see blocks of vacancy. No homes there, no commerce. But just vacancy, right? And so that is his legacy in this city. You don't, is it a hard decision to close down 50 schools on um, people who live in impoverished neighborhoods, um, black kids, black families that have fought for centuries for an education? That was a hard decision. Now, the hard decision would have been telling your rich friends that we're actually gonna fund these school communities because you're gonna pay a higher tax rate telling corporations, if you think Chicago is such a dope city to um, plant your roots, that you're also going to be um, a good citizen and pay taxes like every city worker does in this city. Mm -hmm. Because in order to work for the city, in order to work for the school system, the police department, or be a firefighter, you have to have a city address. That is ensuring our partnership in this city. But they don't have to. The corporations don't have to. In fact, you've given them a pass largely. He rolled back the corporate head tax and never for once thought, I'm closing six mental health care clinics. Perhaps we keep three open and y'all give me something on those three. Like it was there was no shared responsibility. It was all or nothing. He played on a particular team, period. And the team was not the people who reside on the south side or the west side. It was not the team of the working class families in this city who 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 make Chicago work like those who own property in this city, who live in this city, who go to the schools and work in this city. Those are the people who deserve the benefit of their tax dollar. And by and large giving money to wealthy developers to build um, studio lofts that go for $2,000 a month. It's not respecting those taxpayers. All right. So now uh, when you see Rom walking out the door and you consider everything that, uh, as you just laid it out uh, in your, in your mind, what he represents, what do you think about Lori Lightfoot entering? Do you think it's a, a big a change for the city in a, a, a significant way? You know, um, first off, shouts out to Karen Lewis, because Lori Lightfoot would not be mayor of this city if a black woman named Karen Lewis hadn't taken on the power structure. She didn't just take Rahm Emanuel on. She called out uh, Ken Griffin's name. She called out Micah Sachs' name. She called out every rich person in this city who supported his middle management quite frankly. And what she did was that she gave a message, but she didn't just give a message. She carried a mantle of the entire movement that said, 
we need our schools fully resourced throughout the city. Equity and justice come in the form of resources too. She also said that those same families, they need to be able to afford to live in this city. Because if families do not reside in this city, and let me make it more specific, if families who send their their, their children to the Chicago public schools do not exist in this city, then we're in trouble, right? And we know that Black parents send their student, their children to Chicago public schools. Latinx families send their children to Chicago public schools. The white families, not so much, right? And so she drew a very clear connection to the availability of affordable housing to the population of students that attend our school communities. So she fights for that. She just fights for, she fought, no, fights because I'm her legacy, yeah. right? I don't get to do this if she doesn't say, come on, Stacey, yeah. right? So she gets, she provided us with this renewed energy of justice. She provided us with this courage to punch back, right? And you get a space in 2019 where you have all these women running for office, right? That was a remarkable, um, illustration of power women first off running for office then you get this this opportunity to have debate about resourcing um, communities that have been neglected for a couple of generations when were the riots after dr king passed away 68 excuse me was assassinated yeah you can go down madison right now and still see structures that survived but were never rehabilitated mm -hmm. from that era 51 years ago okay so she said that's not just so you get this space in 2019 and lori lightfoot benefits from that space there is a debt of gratitude for karen and for all of the educators, all of the community organizations, all of the base building organizations that created a Chicago that could elect the first black woman, the first gay black woman in the history of this city. That is a significant feat. And Lori ain't did that in a campaign cycle. No change, no shift happens like that from when it, when do you start passing petitions from August to when you vote in February. That's not enough time to shift dynamics anywhere, not even in a classroom. <laughs> Right. Yeah. They don't start liking you to April <laughs> if they like you at all, if they like you at all. Right. Mm -hmm. So so it, that's not enough time to shift an entire consciousness of a city. Right. So this was a prolonged effort by many organizers and activists and fighters and educators in this city. Right. So what I will say is that I I pray I don't even hope. I pray that Lori understands the debt that she owes all of these individuals who have labored for a very long time to get the type of Chicago that reflects justice and equity. Mm -hmm. That's what I pray oh, for. You're praying for that, but uh, have you seen anything concrete that would suggest that she does understand that? So I have PTSD. We have lived under a mayor for the last eight years who chose to lob grenades instead of having a discussion and a debate about what Chicago needs. And so it's going to take a while for people like me 
um, to believe that there are folks that reside on the fifth floor that are willing to work in coalition to listen to those who have to um, deal with the impact of the decisions that are made in spaces where they don't get a vote. So again, going back to my classroom, when I meet you in August as a student, and if I'm teaching you, your baggage is from the last teacher, whether it's great baggage, whether it's negative baggage, baggage, your your experience comes from the teachers that you've already experienced. So it takes a while to form. It takes a while to form. And what I would say is that that takes effort. The teacher has to make an effort to open their space Mm -hmm. and to say like, look, it's rules to this. And we're gonna figure out how to relate to one another. Well, you're gonna get your chance because uh, uh, soon uh, the, your the teacher's contract expires. Well, they already tried to break the rules of that. Uh, yeah, well, it expires in June. What right. do you mean they try to break the rules? Well, um, so our contract expires out, sorry, interrupted. Yeah. In Ju- on June 30th, uh, our contract is um, is over. Mm-hmm. So little known, f- I don't know if this is a little known fact or not. I don't know if people like actually get into the details of teacher negotiations. <laughs> Everyone except for the Tribune, right? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> uh, and they <laughs> they're taking a different point of view when uh, they for do sure. it. But go ahead. Um, but at any rate. Um, our contract expires at the end of June, mm-hmm. and when Mayor Rahm was coming into um, his power, he went to Springfield, and he said that I want to make a lot of changes in education, but I don't want to have to negotiate those changes. Right? I, I think his whole like personal makeup is telling people what to do, not working with people and figuring out how to do it. So he stacked the deck in Springfield. Now at the same time he was coming in the door, so was Karen Lewis, right? Coming in the door. And her learning curve was a lot wider than his, right? Cause he's been around for a minute, you know, doing grunt work for, you know, very powerful people. So he comes in the door and he, he and Bruce Rahner at the time, because remember Bruce Rahner was his education conciliary. Mm-hmm. He was his education conciliary. And so they go down to Springfield and they figure out how to pass some of the most anti-labor, anti-collective bargaining um, law with Senate Bill 7. And what it did for us is give us a threshold of where we had to get um, 75% authorization for um, our members in order to go on strike. We had to enter into a period of mediation. We had to enter Turn into a period of fact finding. Like there are these multiple hoops that no one else has, no other union has in the city of Chicago, in the state of Illinois. No one else has to like um, check all of these boxes. So um, that's an albatross, to be perfectly, and it's unfair. Again, going back to this conversation about women, sit down and shut up. Do what I say, do. You don't have the ability to go on strike like the boys in the trades do, right? Just sit down and be quiet. That that was the temperament. Um, that's the infrastructure of such a bill, but or a law. At any rate, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hoops to jump through. So management comes to the table a couple Thursdays ago and basically say, "Look, we don't want to do all of that anymore." Let's figure out how to skip this and skip that. And we are like, nah, cuz we have a timeline that you all went to Springfield and leveraged. We're gonna follow that timeline 
because we finally figured out what that timeline looks like and sounds like they said no Lori needs to come in and figure out how to negotiate with you all she got to catch up and this timeline doesn't help her sure how about you go to Springfield with us we wipe out the whole law if that's what you want to do you said that to them why wouldn't we say it to them it only makes sense the law has been largely punitive to Mm -hmm. us costly to us it doesn't make sense unfair to us so if you all think it's too cumbersome at this point then let's figure out how to not do it because it is cumbersome and what was their response when you said that crickets (laughs) crickets so we've entered into mediation we sent a letter to them saying by may 1st and it's may 3rd we want to go into mediation um and we're not doing that in order to like jump into the streets with picket signs look we've proven that we know how to do that we've done that because that is what they have passed into law Mm -hmm. and teachers if nothing follow directions you know, to our detriment, sometimes we follow directions. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to follow the law because you put the law forth, yeah. you put it, you know, forth in that same way. So what I was saying uh, is that you will get to know uh, Lori Lightfoot. She will get to know you, uh, I- I- at least through your intermediaries, through the lawyers who are negotiating these deals, because this contract's uh, coming up in June. Uh, Lori will be the mayor as of May 20th, I yep. want to say. That's right. And so the next contract is her contract. Uh, and it, it won't be Rom's contract, and he mm-hmm. won't be around. It'll be the Lori Lightfoot contract. It will be. And um, look, we're hopeful that the contract reflects the the campaign promises, the policy platform that she put forth during her campaign. Mm-hmm. Look, can I be honest with you? One of the benefits of this past campaign cycle was that both Lori and Tony campaigned basically on all of the things that we said mm-hmm. that needed to happen in Chicago. Elect school board, sustainable community schools, nurses in our schools, social workers, counselors in we our said schools. said all the right things. Smaller class mm-hmm. sizes, respect, dignity, and agency for those who provide the services to our students. Mm-hmm. So we're hopeful that this is going to be a simple contract mm-hmm. because if, if, if we are looking at those results from the campaign, Chicago said that's what we want too. Chicago didn't just vote on public safety. They also voted on public education. Chicago didn't just vote on automatic prerogative. They voted on public education. Chicago just didn't vote for ethics reform. They also voted on public education. So if Chicago said yes to that, we've clearly already said yes to that she wins because she said that she would do that Mm -hmm. we expect a resolution that is favorable to all parties involved all right now uh you mentioned the campaign i don't think we've talked on the show uh stacy since the campaign am i right about that since the election okay so um and you know what's coming now uh the chicago teachers union endorsed tony perkwinkle in that race and uh we lost you lost uh, and you were taking your shots at Lori Lightfoot, and many and a few times I got to interview her when she was a candidate and taking shots from the Chicago Teachers Union. I had said to her, uh, "Are you going to hold it against the Chicago Teachers Union?" They've been firing some hardballs at you, 
And she said, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, she understood, no, she would not hold it against the Chicago Teachers Union, that she respects the rights of teachers to collectively bargain. She realized it's politics, and politics ain't beanbag. I believe that's what she said. Harold said it first. Uh, yeah, I think somebody even said it before Harold. But anyway, uh, so in, it's now been, I can do the math, almost, it's been a month mm-hmm. since the election, since she was victorious, 75% of the vote, uh, and uh, Tony Prickwick lost have you seen signs of reconciliation uh no <laughs> okay no and come and on I'm, laurie get it to go i'll give you and, i'll and, send you uh stacy davis gates number you can call yourself and i'm still hopeful yeah no like <laughs> hope springs eternal it, it better <laughs> if we don't have hope we don't have anything yeah to you must be a honest. cub fan um no <laughs> <laughs> i'm black <laughs> Uh, well, you know, the, back in the 60s, there were more black ball players on the Cubs than I believe there were on the White Sox. Well, sure. Uh, that I was didn't say 60s. I was a White Sox fan either. Look, I, baseball is cool. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I just, I like competition, but it's got to move a little faster <laughs> yeah, okay. for me. You know, I, but here's the thing. I love going to baseball yeah. games. I love a ballpark. Um, the beer, the beer. Do kids play baseball? Beer. Well, my husband is like trying to make my son play baseball and he is trying to tell his daddy in every way possible that it's not gonna <laughs> is your, happen is your husband a baseball fan he is his uh, who was it i think it was someone in his family he keeps telling us play for the negro league it's kind of like is, is your husband from chicago no he's from indiana gary gi Oh, he's from Gary, Indiana. Yeah, Gary, All right, he had Gary, a co- and he had one of his cousins, um, Joe Gates, played for the White Sox, um, more for the farm teams, um, less for like the one in Chicago. But he did get caught up to the majors at one point. So yeah, he he. They're huge baseball fans right, in his yeah. family. Yeah, I they used to be a big baseball. time baseball fan. All right, anyway, uh, so uh, hope springs eternal. Uh, we'll be following up on this. Uh, uh, but Lori Lightfoot, if you need to know Stacy Davis Gates' number, just give me a call. I'll give it to you. And and uh, maybe we can work that out. Come on, you got to get along with the teachers. You don't want to make the same mistake that Ron made, right? Wage war on the teachers' union. Thought that was a good strategic move, and look what it got him. Uh, all right, so I said that. Now let's move on from Chicago. Uh, yeah, folks, if you could see this, we're not uh, broadcasting this on TV. Uh, Stacy Davis Gates is wearing a Chicago Bulls hat. I Woo-hoo. give her credit for that. Uh, but what folks don't know, is that she's from the land of Hoosiers. Yeah, I was te- right. when I first met Stacy, when I heard that, I've been teasing her ever since. The Hoosiers, well, I'll speak slower. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, anyway, some of, best friends, <laughs> some of my best friends. All right, but anyway, uh, even though uh, Stacy Davis Gates is from Indiana, she is a Chicago Bulls fan. She's not an Indiana Pacer fan. She let me know that. Or an Indianapolis Colts fan. Like, seriously, it was close. We, South Bend, Indiana. Um, We're closer to Chicago than we are to Indianapolis. So you're a Bears fan. Bears, yeah. Something else you have in common with Lori Lightfoot. Super Bowl shuffle. You are. You know, Lori Lightfoot's a Bears fan. Did you know that? You better be. Okay. (laughs) No, but she's a big time sport. No, seriously, no, seriously. I, I am a big time sports fan too. And it was always the Chicago team. Seriously. All right. So there you go. More in common. All right. The Bears. Okay. So you have the uh, the Bulls hat, even though you're from uh, Indiana. So here's I have to ask you. Is that this, like something that's a punishment or something? Uh, what, being from Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you tell me. You're from Indiana. Just keep going. Get to All where right. you're going. So the point is, she's from South Bend,
Bend, Indiana, and South Bend, Indiana is making its way into the news these nah, days. Nah, South Bend ain't making its way into news. Because the mayor of South Bend, Good Mayor Pete Shakerbootytich, uh, is really <laughs> ma- working his way up the ranks. Uh, he was just on the Trevor Noah show. He's a prominent uh, candidate uh, for president of the United States at age 30. What is he, seven? 30? I don't know. He's very young. So uh, you're from South Bend. You got a, a good firsthand view of Mayor Buttigieg. What's your uh, thoughts about uh, Mayor Pete? Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I would say, I, I would say a lot. How, where, where do you, where am I going to start? Look, um, so I don't think that he's done. I think all of the the reporting about um, the fractured relationship that he has with um, black people is 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 not as um, strong as it needs to be, to be honest with you. Um, he is a neoliberal who had the opportunity to use the mayor's seed as an internship. Um, the lack of solid policy proposals that have been put forth on the campaign trail for the presidency looks a lot like South Bend. That because of his pedigree, people gave a lot of patience to development. And what that has meant is very little for those people who live west of the St. Joseph River. All right, now you're going to have to help me out here. Um, I don't know much about South Bend at all. So west of the St. Joseph River is like the west side or the south side of Chicago. It's where the black people live. It's where the black people live. It's where um, those who exist in in low-income spaces exist. It's where I grew up. And I go back home often because my children oddly think that South Bend is the center of the universe <laughs> <laughs> because their cousins and their I grandparents see. live there. Okay. But so, but <laughs> but even to yeah. go back, like I grew up solidly in a working class, you know, environment. Uh-huh. But to go back now and to like see the neighborhoods where I grew up and to see um, it, it's deserted. There's a, an extraordinary amount of vacancy there. It is not that much different than the west side or the south side of Chicago in spaces. And it is really dispiriting because you have an opportunity with a smaller space. They're turning around schools in South Bend. They are um, threatening school closures in South Bend. The charter movement is moving in on South mm-hmm. Bend. First off, it's not enough kids to have charters and a, a school system coexists. The school system is going to be more marginal. The sports programs in the school district are more marginal. The offerings that you know were once there, like we had open gyms all the time. I played basketball, so of course I know that there were open gyms all the time. The park space is not as as vibrant and as resourced as it used to be. Um, the unemployment rate for Black men for Black people mirrors that of Chicago in South Bend. So the same types of uh, social issues that we are experiencing here in Chicago mirror those of South Bend. And the responses have virtually been the same to to ingratiate yourself with a few black political leaders, Mm -hmm. a few black um, uh, Christian leaders, if you will, and to resource those spaces where they exist and to forget about the many 
that don't have that. Um, the University of Notre Dame is there. You know, it, it, beautiful space. You went there, right? Yeah, yeah. St. Mary's College first. Okay. You okay. have to like put that out All there, right. St. Mary's College. And um, it, it anchors a space and it is a, a, a economic engine, mm -hmm. but football season is when that is most pronounced, yeah. to be honest with you, and football season ain't year round. But it gets a lot of resources from the city as well. Look, he fired the first black police chief, and that might not be a big deal in Chicago, but in South Bend, it was a ticker tape parade, right? You, you get to see yourself. And what hasn't been talked about a lot is that he not only fired the first black police chief there, there were zero department heads in, 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 in South Bend that were helmed by black people. Mm -hmm. And those that once were helmed by black people were no longer helmed in his administration. So you saw a decline of black administration of city services in South Bend under his leadership mm -hmm. as well. Um, that's problematic. Mm -hmm. And in a, in, a, in a presidential space where you have Elizabeth Warren um, lifting up the mortality issues of black women when they go to have their children, and um, in a presidential race where you have Elizabeth, and I'm gonna mention her a lot of times because she's actually talking about policy yeah, you're preaching to the choir she's now, She's actually talking about policy. I, she's talking about, like... She's real. She's very specific. Oh, my... She is specific. She's got funding uh, proposals, how to fund what she wants to do. Rich people get to pay a little more, is yeah. what she says. Yeah. She says that just because you go to college, it doesn't mean that you should be saddled with death. Um, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Dead until death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what you were trying right, to say. Right, that's what yeah. I was trying to say. And... To know that they have this kid on the cover of Vogue and Time talking about he's a policy wonk and he ain't offered us nothing. And you have this woman. This Is she an economist? Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. And, and, who is and she's offering, a lawyer. And, and who is offering very specific, mm -hmm. very specific, timely policy proposals that will actually move our country ahead. And he's being... Yeah. Well, uh, it, it's um, I could go on and on this, and I have, but I I I do think it's unfair uh, that Elizabeth Warren has to work that much harder with all her experience uh, to get any kind of attention, uh, and she she has the policies, and people they're almost like, oh well, that's boring, you know what I'm saying? It's like the new kid on the block. Well, that uh, shows you how far this is devolved into reality TV. That, that's the part of it, too. So every like candidate is being caricaturized, right? So Pete Buttigieg is the young millennial, mm -hmm. gay millennial. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is the school mom. Um, Bernie Sanders is the crotchety old man. Um, Joe Biden is, what is Joe Biden? The other crotchety old man. All right, now, now <laughs> wait, now, uh, that, that, that's a perfect point. Now, do you got that ready, D? Can we get that ready? This is a, a game I've been having fun with uh, all week long. And just when Dennis, tell, just let me know when you're ready. I'll set it up. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, the former vice president for Barack Obama, announced that he was running uh, for president. He's going to run in this in this primary season. He's immediately at the top of the polls, for what it's worth. Uh, 39%, I want to say. And um, I saw that he's doing very well with black voters in the South. All right, here we go. Are you ready? Okay. And uh, I wasn't going to vote for him, but then I heard uh, this commercial and I felt the tug. 
play. Oh, this is an extraordinary man with an extraordinary career in public service. Somebody who has devoted his entire professional life to service to this country. Get ready for the drum, Stacy. <laughs> Revitalize American manufacturing as the head of our middle class task force. He fought to make college more affordable. He Drums coming. For our cancer moonshot, giving hope to millions of Americans. Here it comes. Joe's candidate <laughs> council has made me a better president. Uh, he led our It's On Us <laughs> campaign against campus sexual assault. He championed landmark legislation. Let me keep going. No, that's okay. I just had to hear the drum. <laughs> I wonder what Anita Hill has to say about that commercial. All right, now, uh, so I, I, I'm not only partly kidding when I said, ah, yeah, because that voice, that Obama voice was tugging me back. But I keep playing that for guests on this show. And I guess we must skew left or something because every guest, is, nobody's annoyed. impressed. No, we're annoyed. Yeah. We're annoyed. Go. Um, so a couple of things. So uh-huh. number one, can I be honest with yeah, you? Yeah, please. The political establishment isn't uncomfortable real people are uncomfortable that's the dilemma in which we're existing currently because the political establishment is giving us back uncle joe they're they're bringing that dude they're resurrecting him (laughs) so they're not uncomfortable because they're going back to something that been there done that uh-huh. right that that was rejected yeah it really was if donald trump is the president of the united states that which we just heard was rejected summarily yeah that's number one number two the political establishment is not uncomfortable because they are propping up a young man because of his identity and his ability to have celebrity and star power. Talk about Pete Buttigieg here. Yeah. Yes, because of he's a gay man. He's a young man. He has a great privileged experience in this world, right? He's the Harvard Rhodes Scholar, right? So soldier. Don't forget that yeah, part. Mm-hmm. Sure, soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're not talking about is NAFTA. People will say, well, you know, that's in the past. No, it's not in the past. That's actually South Bend right now. Mm -hmm. The lack of manufacturing, the base that it once had in a Rust Belt city is deeply problematic to all of the black men who don't have jobs in South Bend. Joe still has impact from being a champion of NAFTA. The entire country still has impact that we're negative impact that we're feeling from mm-hmm. that. So you can't just say I've come a long way from that. You might have come a long way for that. But there are millions of us who have not come back from that yet. All right. So I hear what you're saying. Uh-huh. Pretty much everybody has said something along those lines. But the the Obama voice, the Obama name, it resonates uh, Michelle Obama's book is number one. Michelle Obama gave a speech at the United Center, mm-hmm. did a book signing party. I think they sold out the United Center, Stacy. And they left us hanging in Chicago. Because they, they brought Rahm Emanuel here. Look, again, I'm going back to my PTSD here. And it's real. They, look, all of my children were born into a country that had a black president, a black first lady, black children growing up in the White House. 
That's awesome. You know what else is awesome? Having a school to walk to, having safe streets where my kids can ride their bikes. That's awesome too. And so when I talk about this word and, cause I've been using it a lot here lately, you can see yourself, you can be represented in, on television and movies and politics and that representation has to have some type of edification as well, especially in politics, because those creeps get to make policy. Mm -hmm. They get to make policy. And that policy could have the impacts of NAFTA where black men are still feeling, and even white men, men, women, working class families in America are still feeling the impact from that. So like when I see Time Magazine and Vogue Magazine erect and P. Buttigieg, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about my parents' water bill. Both of my parents are on a fixed income right now, right? So both are on a fixed income and they're getting a water bill because he decided to figure out how to be more green in South Bend when it comes to water. I, I can't remember what it is, but you know what, I, what the impact of that was? To drive up the cost of water for people on fixed incomes. Mm -hmm. So there's a lack of consideration for how all these fancy ideas hit real people. I'm all for saving our earth, but how do we save our earth and maintain the people who have to still be here on earth? You understand what I'm yes. saying? They, they lift him up. And you know what the, one of the things that troubles me the most about this political space that we're existing in now is that all of the harm that black folks in particular have been enduring in this space is kind of being pushed to the side because Donald Trump is so terrible, but he's racist. So if the Democrats don't have a word, an authentic word on that, See, Kamala Harris was putting black mo mothers in, 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 in jail because of truancy. Mm -hmm. Pete Buttigieg was um, protecting a racist police department in South Bend. Right. He wasn't just firing black police uh, chiefs. You know, he's also protecting a space of racism there. Joe Biden is responsible for some of the worst incarceration, um, mass incarceration policy. He signed under that Clinton bill. So that can't be okay. Yes, Donald Trump is terrible. You get my full agreement there. Mm -hmm. And the leadership and the policies that come from those seeking to lead this country have to reflect the real needs of people. Look, people need jobs in this country. Like, keep it on the one. People need jobs in this country. We need health care in this country that does not put us into bankruptcy. We need to be able to afford to live in homes in this country. Our wealth was wiped out with that boom, or that, that bust in mm -hmm. 2008. And the only entities that have rebooted are those who caused it. There has been zero restitution to the real people who are still underwater, for the real people whose credit scores are shot, for the real people who are still couch surfing. That's a problem. And Elizabeth Warren to this date is the only one offering a one, two, three on how we deal with those things. Now her albatross is the albatross of teachers in Chicago. She's female. And this country is still very sexist. 
So we like old white men to tell us what to do. <laughs> so Bernie and Joe, right? That's where we are. Yeah. That is where we are. And yeah, it, it, it is dispiriting. Yeah. It is dispiriting. See, they tried. Yeah. So back, when, when was the last election? God, it was like yesterday. 2016. Jesus. Yeah. So it's, it's almost been four years of yeah. Donald. And he's done nothing but erode our sense of safety and stability terrible the only significant uh, legislative victory he has is is was devastating in my humble opinion and that was the tax bill uh which gave huge breaks to the wealthiest uh and uh uh, leaving us struggling to figure out how to fund government that was just a continuation of Obama and Biden. You can curse by them. It's, yeah, it's podcasting. Uh, yeah, she was almost ready, folks. She should have seen. Stay, I was stay, doing stay, my stay, best stay. impression of Sue Garza. Sue Garza on this show. Uh-oh, potty mouth Sue. Oh, no one beats Monroe Anderson. Monroe Good Anderson. Lord, what a sailor. Actually, Maya is trying to beat Monroe. Oh, uh, I really like Maya. You hear that, Maya? Yeah, Stacey Davis Maya Gates is, is a dope. fan. Yeah, she is something else. Yes. All right, we have run out of time here for our interview with Stacey Davis Gates, Vice President of the Chicago Teachers Union. She was just revving up and raring to go. <laughs> Stacey, coming back next month. You know I, you're regular on dude, this show. This is like my home. I, and I, I just got into trouble because I thought we were at a kitchen table and my mouth started to go in well, the way on, that it goes when it's I'm a podcast not in proper now. company. Yes, uh, and so what uh, you you held back, uh, and although uh, some of our shows uh, air, I should say this on Lumpen Radio, the best of Ben Jarofsky goes every Friday. Really? Lumpen. Yes, that's dope. Uh, yes, it is, and, and uh, Dennis does a great job of cutting up those shows and, and putting them on. Uh, and so you can't swear when we're on Lumpen Radio, but we'll never th- put me on the radio. Well, this keep one won't on be. A, yeah, just keep you on the podcast where all the action happens. And then I'll <laughs> and, I, and then I'll like let your our listeners know that I grew up listening to N.W.A. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dennis, she looks at Dennis because, oh, that's a young person thing. Hey, I saw the movie. Uh, uh, no, it was nothing like hearing that music in good by the way, South you, Bend, Indiana. Uh, you must, I mean, we're, John Singleton just died. That must oh, my uh, God. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, though, his movies were your movies. You grew up with them. I, you know, can I be honest with you? I have only watched Boys in the Hood. Two times, once in the theater when it, you know, came out. I, I saw it the weekend it released. I'll never forget it. And then I watched it once more, like um, when it came out on tape, VHS tape. Uh, okay, yeah, VHS. <laughs> right? yeah, a long time ago. So, so I've seen it twice, and you know why? It's so heartbreaking. Like the culmination of that, and not only that, because I was like, well, maybe I should watch it again. You know, just. Maybe mm-hmm. I should watch it again. I can't watch it again because Ricky still exists. Yeah. And and in our space, Trey still exists in our space. Like 1991, freshman in high school to like being a, a married mother or you know, a, a working married mother, um, and. I am still witnessing the same type of thing. I'll be honest with you, like Boys in the Hood was one of those movies that triggered my sense of justice to make me, so I thought I was gonna be a lawyer because I wanted to figure out how to like right those wrongs. Mm-hmm. You know, Furious Styles sitting in the mortgage, comp- uh, in his mortgage uh, company's office having a discussion about um, gentrification. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. And to live in a time period years later, a generation later. No, he's that scene with Lawrence Fishburne where he takes him out yep. the, the lot and yep. gives him the whole lecture is it resonates today. Thought leaders. Uh, how many years ago was that? Ninety one. Ninety one. Uh, Twenty eight years. Stop ago. counting, yeah. please. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, I had a feeling that a movie had a big impact in your life. I'm surprised you didn't mention his other movie, the romance movie uh, Poetic Justice, which uh, no, you didn't go for that one. All right. Um, Two Tupac was a, a post office guy in that. Yeah. Very good for Very knowing that. Class. And for 10 trivia points, uh, do not tell uh, Stacy who is Tupac's girlfriend in that movie. Janet Jackson. Ma- Give that man 10 trivia Joe points. Tory. That is not a real, <laughs> that's not trivia. Yeah, no. oh, yeah, that Joe was Tory was in the movie. There you go. Uh, and who was Joe Tory's girlfriend in the movie? Oh, man. Uh, I, 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 know, I don't know no, her name. She's uh, a lady from the Boondocks. Uh, She's, uh, uh, it's in her last name. I could see her face. I just, damn. Regina King. That's it. Man, you know, I should have known that. Um, but uh, who anyway. Who was Tupac's mother in that movie? Oh, my. Um, oh, I, I know who it was. It was the poet. Um, <laughs> we, this is the second reference she's had on this show. Yeah, Angela. Yes. Very good. Very good, man. The trivia. The, the amount of knowledge in this room. <laughs> By the way, I just want to tell everybody, no phones were taken out yeah. in that trivia. All three thing. of us worked together on all <laughs> I said the poet, and it was the second time she's had two references today on this show, uh, Maya Angelou. All right, uh, almost as great as Maya Angelou, but getting there is Stacey Davis Gates. Thank you. And um, we'll have you back real soon. Thank you, and thank you. Uh, Dennis, great job as always, folks. See you on Tuesday, everybody.